to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And as we look at this text, starting in verse 4, we find the Word of God addressing discipline. Now, as we come to this text, we need to think in terms of God using discipline because He loves us. When we're kids, sometimes we forget that connection. That discipline means my parents love me. We want to have our own way. We want to do our own thing. And then a parent comes along and says, no, you can't do that. Now, when we look at people who become responsible adults, they had discipline in their lives. They were taught by their parents right from wrong, what they could do and what they shouldn't do. And we see the results of society that have shown us what lack of discipline does. We see terrible things in the news where people disregard human life, where they kill one another, harm one another for any cause imaginable. And very often that can be traced to a lack of discipline in the home. But what we find in Hebrews chapter 12 is this. God is a loving Father. He disciplines us because He loves us, because He wants to point us in the right direction. And what we find often in Scripture of God taking us and shaping and molding us into the person that He wants us to be is the image of the potter. Think about pottery for a moment. When a potter wants to shape the clay, what does he do? He slaps it onto a wheel that's going to spin around real fast. Then he takes his hands and he applies pressure so that he can take that clay and he can shape it and mold it into what he wants it to be. Isn't that a picture of what God does with us? We sometimes feel that our world is really spinning, and then we feel the pressure of God as He takes us and shapes us and molds us and makes us into someone of use. This is what God does sometimes through the instrument of discipline. Now, as we come to this text, we want to look, first of all, at the fourth verse. And as we look at the fourth verse, we want to see this, that discipline plays a supreme part in our spiritual development and growth. In the fourth verse, we want to see that God uses discipline to point us toward the sinfulness of sin. In verse 4, it says this, In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, here, the Word of God is addressing a specific issue that was taking place in the first century. When this letter was written, the recipients of the letter were tempted to leave the fellowship of the church, leave the worship of the church, because it meant the possibility of them being taken captive and persecuted. So in order to avert persecution, many of the people in the first century just didn't congregate with other Christians. But here's the problem. God commands us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. He tells us that we need other believers in our life. So what he was saying to them specifically was, don't allow yourself to depart from what I've called you to do, to meet together. And even if that means you sacrificing your blood in order to meet that requirement, you take that risk. 
Now, I believe this principle can also be expanded to other sins. There are many sins that our old sin nature, that part of us that always wants to do wrong, will lead us to do. As believers, we need to resist those tendencies and those temptations. And we need to take a stand. We need to say, no, I'm not going to go that direction. The new person that God is creating in me to make me new in Jesus Christ, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stand my ground. Now, while many of us don't face the danger of shedding our blood because we take a stand for what we believe right now, we don't know what the future holds. That could change radically during our lifetimes. We don't know. But also, as believers, we have to be willing to take a stand for Christ right where we are right now. Because I would submit to you that if I'm not taking a stand for Jesus Christ right now when things are a little more comfortable, I'm definitely not going to take a stand for Christ when things get real complicated. So I need to be willing to struggle I need to be willing to take a stand and to say, I will do what is right in Jesus Christ because I love him. And that's what we're called to do here in this first verse. Church history talks about Eusebius. Eusebius was under the Roman emperor Valens, and he was threatened with the confiscation of his goods, torture, banishment, even death. And this is how Eusebius responded to this emperor. Listen. He need not fear confiscation, who has nothing to lose, or banishment, to whom heaven is his country, nor torments, when his body can be destroyed at one blow, nor death, which is the only way to set him at liberty from sin and sorrow. What a perspective. God wants us to take that same perspective wherever we are in our Christian pilgrimage that it's heaven that we look forward to. And that's really what we've been seeing as we've gone through Hebrews chapter 11, isn't it? Look to heaven. Look to what lies ahead, not the immediate. And when we look to what lies ahead and not the immediate, we will struggle for our faith. God will put us in tests to strengthen that resolve. You can't have your resolve strengthened if you never face a test. So the potter takes us and he shapes us and molds us with that in mind, that we might grow in our resolve, that we might grow in our strength. So I ask you this morning, not are you willing to give your blood for Christ, but what are you willing to sacrifice for Christ? Are you willing to meet a sacrifice to overcome a sin? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. For these recipients of this letter, it was the shedding of blood. For us, it might be giving up watching a television show that causes us to lust. It might be giving up a friend that leads us to the wrong path. There can be any number of things that we might look at and say, you know, this leads to things that are not good. So I'll set them aside. I'll put them aside. I am willing in my struggle to make this sacrifice. 
And that's something that we as believers need to see. You see, if we really view sin for what it is, something that is dramatically displeasing to God, we'll make those sacrifices. But you know what we do? We rationalize. We look at sin and we say, yeah, you know, it's not really that bad. At least I'm not, and then plug in your favorite thing that you're not doing, and somehow that balances out to where what I'm doing really isn't that bad. God wants us to understand that sin is sin. It's all out of His will. It's all out of the realm of what God asks of us. So we have to be willing to sacrifice here and now, looking forward to the future. And when we really get the future, we'll make those sacrifices now. So the Word of God calls us to this, and this is a part that discipline plays. As God puts discipline into our lives, we recognize that sin is bad, it brings consequences. And that's one of the points that the writer of Hebrews wants to make. But then as we come to verses 5 and 6, we see that the discipline of God also prepares us to live godly lives. When we look at the fifth verse, notice what it says. And you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. The fifth verse points out that very often it's easy for us as followers of our Lord to forget what His Word says. Now, I don't know about you, but my forgetter seems to work really well when I find something that's inconvenient. When there's something I really don't want to do, like take out the garbage, uh, make sure that I pick up after myself, boy, I, I forgot all about that. But if there's a fishing trip that's on the horizon... I remember that for weeks. I don't forget any of that stuff. Paula can verify all of this. Listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't want to forget the Word of God. We want to remember the charges and challenges that God's Word gives to us so that we can live lives that are closer to our Lord Jesus Christ, that reflect Him. God wants us to be like that, not forgetting, but remembering. And then look at the text that the Word of God calls us to remember. The text begins in the fifth verse where it says this, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. Notice how God addresses us from this quote from the book of Proverbs. It says this, My son... When we are a child of God, what the Scripture begins to drive home to us is the idea that we will be disciplined, and we need to talk about this word discipline for just a moment. What does it mean that God disciplines us? The word discipline, or chasten, as it's translated in your King James Bibles, shares with us the importance of instruction, Also, it has the idea of punishment and definitely the idea of training. You see, when God disciplines us, it isn't God simply looking at us saying, you did something wrong, now you get it. That's not the idea of discipline. It isn't a random act of vengeance because I stepped out of line. That wouldn't be the loving father that we see in Scripture. But what we see in discipline is something far different. There is a purpose behind it. 
The idea is when we step out of line, God wants us to understand that when we do wrong, there are consequences, just like you would do with your child. If you do wrong, there are consequences. No, you can't have your own way in all these things. Even as adults, we can seek to have our own way. We can look and say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And here's the thing. When God disciplines us, He does so because He loves us. Any parent who watches his child play in the traffic when they're two years old and says, oh, I wish they wouldn't do that, but I don't want to break their spirit, doesn't love their child, right? You don't let the inmates run the asylum. You look and you say, this is wrong. Don't go in this direction. I'm going to give you this consequence now so that you don't face the consequence of death or dismemberment because you've played in the traffic, right? We learn to say no. We set those boundaries. Why? Because we love them. We don't want to see them hurt. So it's better for them to suffer the discipline that I share with them in this moment that they might not bear greater consequences later. And this is what God does for us. So here in the Scripture in the fifth verse, when it says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, it's calling us to something. We don't want to look at God's discipline and see it as random, circumstance, coincidence, any of those things. We want to understand that when God brings discipline into our lives, that is, sometimes experiencing the terrible consequences of our sin and feeling the sting that comes as a result of our sin, when God allows us to experience that, there's a purpose behind it. And that purpose is being fulfilled because God loves us. That's something that really needs to come home. You know, I've heard some Christians say, man, I can never get away with anything. The moment I do something wrong, all of these consequences come home to roost, and it's terrible. Why? Does God let me experience this? I see this person over here doing something wrong. Nothing happens. But man, when I step out of line, everything happens. And you know what I say? Thank God you're a child of God. You're a son whom he loves and disciplines. And God's message to us is this. Don't take that lightly. Don't be ungrateful for it. Don't look at it and say, well, you know, this just doesn't make sense and it's not really fair Look at it and understand that you have a loving Father who's directing you in the way that you should go. Look at the next statement. Don't lose heart when rebuked. Now, God will rebuke us sometimes. Sometimes it comes through another person who might come to us and say, hey, you have sin in your life in this and you need to cut it out. That's a rebuke. And listen, nobody enjoys rebuke. Nobody likes to be told you're wrong. But what God is telling us is this. Look, when God rebukes us, either through another person or through the Holy Spirit working on our conscience or through any means that God chooses, you know what we need to understand? As followers of Jesus Christ, God is doing this for a purpose, and His purpose is to shape me and mold me into the best person that I can be through the power of His Holy Spirit. God wants us to face discipline and understand that in so doing, we are loved. 
So rather than losing heart and getting discouraged when I face the consequences of my sin or when I'm going through a trial that may not even be sin-related, rather than looking and saying, what is God doing to me? We need to look and say, God, thank you for shaping and molding and making me into the person that you want me to be. And as a loving God, I trust that your discipline is right and that you're doing this to do in a way that is for my best. Don't lose heart. If you're undergoing discipline now or if you're going through trials right now, understand that that's part of God's process in making you who you need to be. Notice we also are called in the sixth verse to remember that God is a Father who disciplines those He loves. Notice what the Scripture says. Because the Lord disciplines those He loves. You know, when Paul and I lived in Buffalo, we had a front room with this large picture window and had a little tip-out window at the very top. And one nice fall day, on my day off, I see a mom and a little kid walking down the street. The kid was using profanity that you would not believe, walking them home from kindergarten. And this little kid, I mean, I work construction. I heard some foul language. It made me blush what he was saying to his mom. It was awful. Now, let me tell you what I didn't do. I didn't jump out the front door and go over and say, hey, cut that out and start wearing him out on the backside. You know why? It's not my kid. I'm not his father. They have to initiate and carry out their own consequences for his bad behavior. It's not up to me. He's not my child. Same thing happens if you're in a store and a kid goes into just an out-and-out fit and a tantrum right there in the middle of the grocery store, and you look and say, wow, if that was my kid, (laughs) I wouldn't put up with that. I don't do it because not my kid. Now let me tell you what I did do. When my kids stepped out of line, I found the discipline that would speak to that individual child, and it varies for each child, and I would consistently, or as consistently as I could, carry it out. Why? Because I wanted to shape and mold my children into what they need to be in Jesus Christ. God does that for us because he loves us. And listen, the discipline of a child, and it can be grounding, it can be time out, it can be any number of things that we do, the discipline of a child has a purpose. And it also has a heart of love behind it that wants to see that child be the best that they can be. So that's why God disciplines us. This is what the Word of God reminds us. And it goes on to say this, He punishes every son or everyone he accepts as a son. God's punishment can be meted out through his discipline. Now let me be quick to say this. Just because you're going through difficult circumstances or experiencing an illness or something like that, please don't always see that as the discipline of the Lord. I firmly believe that if God brings something into our lives that's unpleasant as a discipline, He's going to let us know in our heart that that's what it's about. And let me explain why. As a parent, if I went up to my kid and popped him and said, you guess what that's for? (laughs) 
What good is it? What am I doing to train my child? What life lesson is learned in that other than quick reflexes? Our responsibility is to use it for guidance, and I would submit to you that God does the same. God teaches us through his discipline, and he punishes every child that he accepts as a son. So listen, as you face difficulty, as you face these challenges, understand there's a loving God behind them, and he has a purpose that's unfolding So facing the discipline of God isn't a bad thing, it's a good thing. Sometimes God brings trials into our lives, as I said, to strengthen us. And it may not be related to discipline where we've stepped out of line or something like that at all. Sometimes God's discipline is through trials. Sometimes God's discipline is through broken relationships. But sometimes all of those things come as a result of strengthening us and isn't related to chastisement, to punishment in any way. So we need to have hearts that are sensitive to God, open to what He's teaching us through those experiences, ready to receive what God would say to us. Which brings us to our next point. All of us need to have a perspective on God's discipline. And here the Word of God begins to reveal to us the perspective that we should have. The first perspective we find in verses 7 and 8, and that is the paternal love of God is demonstrated by His discipline. When you go through trials, when you go through difficulties, stop and read this passage of Scripture and understand that there is a loving God who is behind these circumstances. He's right there. Rather than looking and saying, this is unfair, I don't like this. We need to stop and understand that God is there to shape and mold us. We need to understand that as we face these things, look at the seventh verse, and notice it says, endure hardship as discipline. Now, I like the way the English Standard Version translates this a little bit better. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. For God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Here the word of God is calling us to recognize that discipline brings about endurance. Now the NIV translates it that our endurance is just something we do during the discipline. But a better translation really drives home the idea that it is discipline that develops endurance in us. And really, that's what the Word of God is saying in this text. You want to grow in your endurance? You want to be stronger as a believer? Accept the discipline of the Lord and learn from it. You know, I'll often hear a young Christian look at a more seasoned Christian and say, man, when can I be like that person? And you know what my answer is? There's no substitute for time and difficulty in growing in your Christian life. The people that we look at and see them as pillars are people who have been down the road and have gone through a lot of difficulty, and they're strong because they've endured. Endurance comes from hard work, hard life, and learning to depend on God through all of those. So God wants us to be people who endure. 
and he accomplishes that enduring through discipline and trials. So that's what the Word of God wants us to recognize first. But then notice as the seventh verse continues, it says this, for what son is not disciplined by his father? Now, I don't know all of your backgrounds. Some of you, I know, had challenges in your home because you had a father who maybe wasn't the father that he should be. When the Word of God says that fathers discipline in this text, it's talking about God's ideal role for a father. Not the failures who don't do it, but the ones who do lovingly, who care about you and want to see you grow and develop. That's God's ideal for a father. So men, listen to this. Part of your responsibility as a father is to have discipline in the home. We need to sometimes not be their best buddy, but be their parent. We need to discipline. God expects that of us, and God is the model for it. So if we're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, make sure that you follow this role model here in God as a disciplinarian. And what we find is this. As we go on in the 8th verse, it says, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. God's ideal for us is that parents discipline their children to teach them the right way. And that's brought out crystal clear in this passage. You know, I went online and looked up the definition of a spoiled brat. And these are some of the standouts. A spoiled brat is a child who was raised by a parent or parents who didn't stop to think how this child would turn out when older. Pretty good thought, isn't it? A spoiled brat is a child who was never given limits. We all know people who fall into this category. And then last, a spoiled brat is a child who was never corrected when they did something wrong. God's ideal for us is correction when things are done wrong. God wants us to understand that there's an important place for this. And what he's saying is this. If a person is fulfilling their spiritual role as a father, they're going to set those limits and enforce them. That's what God calls men, leaders, spiritual leaders in their home to do. And the wives are also responsible for it as well. We have that responsibility. So God is calling us to this. But then the statement at the end of the verse I find fascinating. What it says is this. If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Now this is an alarming statement. You know what it's saying? If a person claiming to be a child of God continues to do wrong and continues to do wrong and there seems to be no consequence, they'd better stop and ask themselves, am I truly a child of God? These are strong words. Hebrews is full of warning passages and this is one of them. If I can sin with impunity, there's never a problem. I do what I want to do and I never suffer a consequence then am I truly a child of God? 
or am I illegitimate? Am I a person who really doesn't have a connection with God? This is something for people to search their souls on. If you're one of those people that can't ever do anything without having some sort of consequence, thank God for it because you know what it proves? You're a child of God. But if you sin and life just goes on and there's never a bump in the road and everything's just fine and hunky-dory, you're probably not a child of God. You are illegitimate. We need to understand that when we become a child of God, there's a transformation that takes place. God sends His Holy Spirit into us and He transforms us. The writer of Galatians said this, God sent His Son to redeem those under the law, now listen to this, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. God gives us high privilege for being a son, for being His child. But with that privilege goes responsibility. And that responsibility sometimes means that God will discipline us out of His great love for us. Notice what the ninth verse goes on to say. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Listen, God has a plan in His discipline, and that plan is our personal holiness. And so, God wants us to participate in His holiness. Look at what the Scripture says again, very carefully. In the ninth verse, we are reminded of something, that we have human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Again, this is the idea that you had a biblical father, a good father who was doing the things that he ought to do as a father. So if you had that kind of father, what did you learn? You learned respect. Now, when you're a kid and you're going through discipline, there's mostly resentment. You're looking at it and saying, I have the meanest parents in the world. They never let me do anything. They're so unfair. You get all of those as feedback from your kids. You know what? I always sort of measured it this way. If I got that kind of feedback, I'm probably doing my job right. Because a 10-year-old doesn't have the life experience that I have. They're not able to see what can come at them in a hundred different directions because they don't understand. It's my responsibility to set those boundaries. Just as I wouldn't turn the keys to the car over to an 8-year-old or a 10-year-old, I'm not going to allow them to have free reign and do whatever they want to do because there are terrible consequences that they'll face. And I want to forestall that. I want to keep them from getting into those situations because I love them. So as a father, my responsibility, our responsibility, men, set those boundaries, enforce those boundaries, and in so doing, what are we going to see? We're going to see a child who will later respect us. It's kind of neat having sons that are a little older now. 
I'll just say I'm so proud of each one of them. I'm thankful for the men that they've become. And it's wonderful as a father to see that on this side. But men, during their teens, middle and early teens, you're the dumbest person in the world. (laughs) You are so out of touch, man. You just don't know what's going on. You always get that. You always feel that if it's not communicated. But now later, I'm seeing respect. And I'm seeing the understanding that the discipline that I put into place had its result. And I'm thankful. That's what God wants to see in us. The discipline that he meets out to us has a purpose. It's a part of his plan for the development of our personal holiness. And this is what God wants us to see with clarity, that we have this. Notice the Word of God says this in the 10th verse. And let's look at it once again very, very carefully. The Scripture says this, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we might share in His holiness. When the Scripture talks about how fathers discipline, listen, as dads, we are going to make a mistake from time to time. I would often jump to conclusions and find the wrong person guilty. It didn't help that each son said, not me. (laughs) You know? So you had to make a judgment call, and guess what? I, I made the wrong judgment calls on a few occasions where I would read into things. We have human error that's a part of this whole process. But what we're reminded of in this text is when the Heavenly Father disciplines us, He doesn't get it wrong. He looks at our lives and He sees what we need to become stronger and better people. And even though by intention I was doing the best I could to see it, God will always do what is absolutely right. God will change us and develop in us a personal holiness through what He does. 2 Timothy 1.8 says this, Join with me in suffering for the gospel. For by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of His own purposes and grace, God has called us to live a holy life. So discipline and trials are part of that process where you have the all-wise, all-loving God selecting personally for you what will best take you to the place that you need to be. You know, when we look at discipline, it hurts. But doesn't discipline need to hurt to accomplish its work? As believers, we need to give the benefit of the doubt to God and trust Him in this. We need to understand that God is doing this because He absolutely loves me and wants to see me become more like Him. And that brings us to our last point. Painful discipline produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. The 11th verse says this, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. If you go through discipline... It's going to hurt. 
It's never, ever, ever going to seem pleasant at all. But think about this for a moment. If you're disciplining your child, and they say, you know, that really wasn't that bad. Have you accomplished anything? When I was a kid, if my mom disciplined me by just applying the Board of Education to the seat of knowledge, <laughs> then basically I said, okay, I'm glad that's over with, and I'd run and do what I wanted to do. You know what my mom discovered? Confining me to my room killed me. It took too long. I wanted to be outside. Now, my brother, if she confined him to his room, this is great. He'd crack out the book, you know, and that's where he wanted to be. She made him go outside to punish him. <laughs> We're all different. But you have to look at each child and find the discipline that works. And what the Word of God is saying is this. God chooses the discipline that works, and He does this because He loves us and because something is produced. Look at what's produced through this unpleasant discipline. First of all, it produces right living. That's what the Word of God means when it says later on it produces a harvest of righteousness. When a person walks as they should walk with God, it's because God has done a work in their life through the discipline process that makes them live right. If I can sin all the time and never face a consequence, where's my motivation not to sin? We're human beings. It has to sting a little bit for us to modify our behavior. God recognizes that, and He applies discipline as the all-wise God. That's why in Romans, the Scripture says this, we all know, or we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. And right before that, Paul was talking about all of the struggles, all of the difficulties that he went through. As believers, we need to understand that God is wise. And listen, His discipline isn't because God's up there saying, oh, I'm mad at you. And now you're going to get it. It's because God is looking at us and saying, child, you're going down the wrong path. And I need to put you on the right path because I love you. Too many people think that the discipline of God is just God's vengeance somehow directed toward us. And that's not what it is. When I'm a child of God, God's discipline is directed because He loves me, and each discipline I experience is a reaffirmation of His love for me and His desire to see me walk in purity and holiness. So as a child of God, all of us should desire to walk in that purity and that holiness. And then notice it also yields a harvest of peace. What is peace? Peace means so much more than the absence of conflict. Peace, as we find it in Scripture, is the Hebrew word shalom, and it carries with it the idea of wholeness. When it's talking about peace in this passage in addition to righteousness, what it's saying is this. God uses discipline to make us everything that we should be. Going back to the potter, He makes us that pot that He wants us to be. Exactly 
reflecting the image that he desires for us. So my encouragement to you, when you go through discipline, understand that there's a loving God behind it. Look at the final part of the 11th verse, and with this we'll close. It produces righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now here the word that's translated trained is different than discipline. We get our English word gymnasium from this term train. And here's the concept that God is sharing with us. We've all heard the statement, no pain, no gain. It works in athletics. It works in music. A great athlete doesn't get up and do the things that he does because he's just picked up a ball and decided to take it up in the moment. What happens? There's a lot of training and practice and hard work behind success. A musician doesn't get up to the piano and just start banging out a melody. They have practiced and learned and struggled to achieve the proficiency that they have. And here's the idea. God does that with us. He works in us, develops us to make us the people that he wants us to be. Paul used this image of a runner in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where he says this, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. I ask you, do you spend more time in training for your hobbies and your sports aspirations and other things than you do for your walk with God? The accolades here come and go. But what truly lasts is what we do for God. Yes, there is effort, there is training. When we think of those who are in the athletes, the athletes in the Olympics, when we think of them, we think of the hardcore training that they do so that they'll be successful. But that's for something that's here and gone. They can't take the gold medal that they get with them. As a child of God, we're going to undergo discipline and difficulty that we might hear well done. And that's something that lasts forever. So our encouragement from the Word of God, recognize that the struggle that you go through has a purpose behind it, an all-loving God that is behind it to make you more holy. And rather than taking it lightly, rather than bemoaning it and becoming bitter toward God or confused about His intentions, we need to look at it as something that He's doing in our lives to make us what is for our best and for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this text. We thank You for the reminder that it is to all of us of the need that we have to undergo discipline. And Father, I know in this congregation this morning there are those who are going through terrible struggles. Father, I would pray that you would work in their hearts and their lives to grow them into more useful utensils for you, Lord. And then, Father, I also know that in a group this size, there are probably those who 
engage in sinful behaviors and think that they get away with it. Lord, I pray that you would reaffirm to all of us that if we're truly a child of God, this won't be. Because you love us, you will step in. But Father, if there are those who engage in that and never seem to face consequence, speak to their hearts. Let them see the need of turning their lives over to you that they might live for you, which is the only choice that truly makes sense. Thank you for this text. Thank you for this time that we could spend in it. In Jesus' name, amen.